the fall of the Centurion. The Centurion had gone silent six hours ago. The once bright and vibrant space station that was home to over 4,000 humans living within the Torn Nebula had gone dark. Orbiting 150 million miles from a yellow dwarf star, the Centurion was a local hub for the transportation of people and goods. Like the rest stops of the 20th century, they provided services to visitors and crew members alike. It offered basic repairs to ships, lodging for travelers, hundreds of shops and restaurants, and numerous apartments and temporary housing for those who intended to stay for a prolonged period of time. With over 200 levels, the stations contained cinemas, clubs, bars, even a large amusement area complete with rides and a VR deck that could simulate practically any scenario within the safety of the floor. For those who wanted something a bit more peaceful, there was an organic park full of plant and even animal life. The Centurion was one of 12 orbital stations that Earth Prime had constructed through the centuries. Dotted throughout Alliance space, they lined major trade routes between systems. Some were like the Centurion, acting as rest stops for weary travelers, and others were security hubs for the Alliance Guard. Two stations in particular, the Siren and the Icarus, were data centers that processed and stored information from all over the Alliance network. With trillions of humans and countless other races living in the galaxy, there was need for moderation of the massive digital traffic. It was due to this connectivity through the galaxy that it was surprising the Centurion had gone dark, without a single distress call being sent out by any of the current 5,000 long-term occupants. Derek Ward had arrived at the Centurion when it was still a thriving hub. He and his fellow crewmates had just finished a two-month job collecting minerals from a distant asteroid belt. During the mission, Derek acted as tech specialist, monitoring the quality and integrity of the drilling equipment, the ship's internal systems, and the virtual intelligence nicknamed Vic. He spent most of his time on the ship while the others manned drillers and haulers in deep space. Mining was an arduous job, and even though he wasn't manning heavy equipment, he still felt the same level of exhaustion as his shipmates. Physically, he was fine. Mentally, he was taxed. For two months, they did nothing but work and sleep, so this left the entire crew feeling antsy. After all, one can't have much privacy in a 2,000 square foot living space occupied by 11 people. So when the mission was complete and they were on their way back to Earth Gamma, they decided to stop off at the Centurion to resupply and blow off some steam. While Derek planned to join his crewmates when they arrived, he was just too exhausted. He told the captain, a mustachioed man named William Caldwright, that he would catch up with them later, and to his surprise, neither he nor the crew pressed the issue. After all, what they had planned didn't involve much sleep. It was because he stayed behind that he was spared from the incident that took the Centurion. Much to Derek's surprise, it wasn't a klaxon from the station that woke him, for it never went off. It wasn't the screams of those within or the gunfire that follow. It was the light beeping from the VI that eventually pulled him from his deep sleep. Derek stretched, the burning in his muscles feeling wonderful. A deep and powerful yawn escaped his mouth as he pulled his arms backwards as if asking the universe to give him an enormous hug. The ship was quiet, save for the light beeping. Sliding on his glasses, he could see the dim yellow light flashing on the main console at the co-pilot station. The sleeping area was right behind the cockpit, and so the flight controls acted as navigation, communication, and data processing. Though still a bit groggy, he hopped out of bed and made a short walk to his chair at the helm. Sitting down, he was instantly greeted by the dark expanse of space. Trillions of stars twinkled in the all-consuming blackness. The cockpit offered a spectacular 180-degree view of the cosmos, but for Derek, this was nothing special. Having spent his entire life traveling through space, living first on Earth Beta and then moving to Earth Gamma when he was 10, the majesty of the cosmos wasn't the same as it was before faster-than-light space travel. 
Taking only a moment to collect his thoughts, he touched the holographic display. Good evening, Technician Ward, Vic said in his digitized voice. Did you have a good rest? Yeah, Derek said, rubbing his eyes. What's going on? Why the sudden alarm? I can no longer detect the crew within the Centurion, Vic said matter-of-factly. Derek froze. An icy touch of dread tickled the back of his mind, but he did his best to push it away. There were a number of reasons why Vic could lose track of the crew. Interference? Malfunctioning locators? Or they could just have turned them off. It wouldn't be the first time. Vic, send a ping to the captain, Derek ordered. There was a momentary pause before the VI spoke again. The Centurion communication relay appears to be down. The fear started to spread like fingers across Derek's neck, growing tighter. Still, he managed to keep his obvious terror at bay. He knew it was possible that the communication relay could have been down, but it seemed strange that the backup systems were not transmitting. Vic, can you scan the comms for some emergency signal indicating the outage? Instantly, Vic went to work scanning all available frequencies, the process taking only a matter of moments. I'm afraid there are none, Vic said. In fact, there are no active frequencies within 5,000 kilometers. Derek was stunned, struggling to understand what was happening. It was possible that the primary and secondary relays were down. The station was old after all, having been built over a century ago. The Alliance was constantly upgrading systems and reinforcing structures, so the relays could have been down for maintenance. That wasn't what bothered him. The real question was why were there no other transmissions coming from the stations? Not even radio waves were being picked up by the communication array on his ship. It was like the entire sector was nothing but dead space. From his position in the cockpit, he could not see the station. The Centurion was designed to have ships reverse dock into an exterior ring that was connected to the main body of the station. Like flowers of a petal, the ships were angled away from the center as a precaution to prevent someone from slamming into the ring at full speed, or in case of emergency, for a quick jettison. Derek tapped on the hollow keys, bringing up the exterior cameras. If not for the stars behind him, he would have never seen the station. Rather, if it wasn't for the lack of stars behind him, he wouldn't have known the station was there. The Centurion was pitch black. The ship's exterior lights were off, as were the emergency lights in the location indicators. If a vessel were traveling toward it, they would have never have seen it. Vic, try to contact Alliance Security, Derek ordered. Unable to connect, Vic replied. That's impossible, Derek muttered to himself. Vic, send out a distress signal on all frequencies. Unable to complete task. Run diagnostic! Instantaneously, a holographic screen appeared before him. Information scrolled past his eyes, data gathered by a full diagnostic scan of every program and interface on the ship. Vic determined that their ship's arrays were fully functional, all systems nominal. From what Derek could see, the inability to send out a distress signal was not due to the fault of their comms. Vic, can you detect any active electronics within the area? Derek asked. Vic scanned the vicinity, searching for any equipment that was still pulling power. It was an internal program that was designed to search for any forgotten tools that the crew may have left behind while working. I have detected over 40,000 devices that were still operating in the area, Vic said. Derek groaned. It was certainly not what he was hoping for, but should have expected as much. Most people had their own comm systems, and while the relay system was down, there was no reason to shut down the personal network. Derek considered this before restructuring his question. Vic, is there any device that is not a comm unit that is still functioning? There are over a dozen units. One unit, however, appears to be transmitting, but does not meet standard frequencies. He said, but quickly added, 
I have taken the request, however, and amended the parameters. I have located a single device that is being powered by an independent energy source that does not match any previously identified sources. Derek rubbed his chin in thought. The short stubble scratched at his palm as the sound roared in his ears. I bet it's a high-powered frequency jammer, Derek said aloud. Someone had disabled the power and the comms. The real question was why. It was extremely dangerous to cut off communication with the outside. If anything went wrong, no one would ever find out until it was too late. It was at this point Derek knew he had two options. The first was to stay and wait it out. Eventually, the Alliance Federation would realize something was wrong and send out help. The question was when. He didn't know how often the station notified Earth Prime with updates. The other option, which was not one he wanted to explore, was entering the stations and trying to get help, perhaps even find out what happened to the Centurion and his friends. With a resigned sigh, Derek returned to his bunk. The ship was not equipped for battle and there were no weapons aboard. The only thing he could take with him was a wrench. Derek was a tech, and while he knew how to analyze data and repair virtual systems, he had no idea how to actually use any of the tools. To worsen matters, he wasn't the most physically imposing. Weighing a meager 110 pounds at 6 feet tall, he was less of a space explorer and more of a scarecrow in a jumpsuit. He wasn't completely incapable, though, especially with Vic by his side. The captain was glad the VI had been uploaded to the computer so that more of the crew could be used for as labor, gathering more minerals and bringing in more money. Vic helped monitor the ship's systems and ensure everything was running nominally, working in tandem with the pilot and the tech specialist. However, when Derek sold the captain the idea of Vic, he had bent the truth slightly. While telling William that Vic was a full-spectrum VI, or virtual intelligence, Vic was in fact a fully functional, self-aware, artificial intelligence capable of independent thought. He kept the secret because AIs weren't permitted in the hands of citizens. They were closely monitored by the Alliance because of how much damage a rogue AI could cause. In order to keep anyone from finding out, he and Vic devised a plan. Derek placed an inhibitor program to limit what Vic could do while in presence of other crew members. Once the block was lifted, however, Vic could operate at full capacity. Is there anything I can assist you with, sir? Vic asked. End Ghost Protocol Subroutine Victor India Execute. Derek ordered as he strapped on his digital bracer. The device acted as a miniature tablet, allowing him to access core systems remotely. All of the crew had one, but most just used it to listen to music while working. Oh, thank God. I was getting so antsy, Vic cried. The digital quality of his voice was still present, but the cold mechanical nature became far more fluid, more human. Why couldn't you do that sooner? My friends could have come by when I was asleep. If they knew I had you, they would report you, and the Alliance would either take you away or tether you to a single point, Derek said. You think Shadow Protocol is bad? Try being tethered. I'll pass, thank you, Vic said. So, I'm assuming you're going into the station. I have to, Derek replied. I need to make sure my friends are alright, so sync up. The bracer activated, a three-dimensional hollow display appearing over the device. A progress bar flashed across as Vic said, Sync complete. I am now portable. This time the voice came over the bracer's comms. Before doing anything else, Derek reached into his bunk and removed a small earpiece. Try it now, Derek said, sliding the device in. How's this? Vic replied. This time the voice spoke directly in his ear rather than the bracer. Good. Come on, we have to check out the station, Derek said. With as much courage as he could muster, he grabbed the wrench and walked over to the ship's spacesuits. With a deep breath, he began to disrobe and prepare to enter the Centurion. The lights were out, his only source of life being the headlamp on his helmet. A quick scan of the environment indicated that the ship's life support was down. 
Though there was still enough oxygen left in the station, eventually it would either escape through an opening or be used up by any organism that was still breathing. So, rather than wait for either, Derek suited up. The suit was designed with a rebreather network that utilized genetically modified algae. The algae would metabolize the carbon dioxide and in turn release oxygen. The suit could provide oxygen for over three days if needed. Then the algae scrubbers would have to be traded out for a fresh batch. Three days was meant to be a worst case scenario. Most of the time they tried not to spend an entire 24 hour day in the suit, let alone three. The suit was form fitting, the body made of highly durable metal plating while the joints and hinges were made of flexible polymers. The sturdiness of the suit was a precautionary measure in case there was a gas pocket that projected rocks or metal at the miners. It was projectile resistant but not bulletproof. The suit was also designed with mag boots and light propulsion jets utilizing compressed air. While not meant for long distance travel, you can navigate around an asteroid with ease. Within the helmet was a digital heads-up display that showed oxygen concentrations for both the internal and external environments, the suit's integrity, battery life for the main operating systems and external lights and sensors, as well as a mini-map if one was available for the area. In lieu of a complete schematic, the onboard navigation would map out one so that the user could return to the point of origin if needed. Got anything, Vic? Derek asked. His heart rate had jumped to almost 100 beats per minute the moment he stepped into the docking ring. The artificial gravity had been disabled, and so Derek had to rely on the mag boots to keep from floating around. Nothing yet, Vic said. You may want to relax a bit, your vitals aren't looking the best. I'll be fine, Derek said, though they both knew he was lying. The ring was dead silent, swallowed by darkness. The light from this helmet cut through the black, but offered no solace. The docking ring was connected to the station by two dozen walkways leading to the main floor of the station. Fortunately, Derek's ship wasn't too far from one of the walkways. With each step, his boots echoed, reverberating throughout the entire ring, making him easy to find. The ring gave no clue as to what happened within the station. Aside from a few crates and boxes, the ring was empty. Following the walkway, Derek moved from his ship and quickly located the tunnel into the main atrium. It was while he was scanning the walls that he noticed something out of the ordinary. Angling the light, he saw strange symbols etched into the wall of the walkway. The gouges weren't deep, but it was enough to stand out in the suit's beams. Touching his wrist, a hollow display appeared. With a few taps, he snapped several images using the helmet's onboard cameras. Vic, can you run a scan of these? Derek asked. Graffiti? Really? Vic teased. Getting a little worked up, are we? Just do it, please, Derek said flatly. The last thing he needed was lip from something that didn't even have lips. Moving along the walkway, he noticed more symbols. They weren't the same, but they were of similar design. The strokes were uneven, some gashes cutting more deeply than others. The person that carved these certainly didn't care about flair or style. It was a matter of getting the picture drawn, and that was it. However, something didn't sit right with them. He had been on the Centurion before. The security force on the station weren't strict, but they cracked down on vandals and graffitists. Security would have sent someone after the person carving the symbols in the wall, while at the same time sending maintenance to remove the symbols. Though by the flakes of metal still clinging to the wall, these were fresh. How could they simply ignore this? Of course, how could an entire station just shut down? Traveling the span of the walkway, the walls bearing more of the strange symbols, he came to the airlock where even more markings were etched, not only in the metal, but the glass as well. As Derek slipped into the adjacent room, Vic's voice broke over the silence. I've located something. Derek jumped at the sudden exclamation, forgetting that he wasn't alone. You found something in your databanks? Derek asked somewhat perplexed. Why would his AI have weird etchings on his hard drive? Not quite, Vic corrected. I found it on the net. 
I thought all communication was down, Derek said. The external relays are down. That's why you can't ping anyone to send out a message using them. But the internal intranet is still up and running. It seems like someone simply shut off life support and cut off communications, Vic answered. Derek touched his bracer, hoping to find some answers. With the intranet still online, he may be able to break into the security mainframe to get some answers. But the moment he tried to connect, all he received was an error. Wait a minute, why can't I connect to the network? The jammer, Derek. Vic said it with a surprisingly mocking tone. Then how can you? I'm not on the network. Explain now. The station's comms are offline, but the internal VI is still active, as is the internal network. I detected one of the internal network nodes when we entered the ring and gave it a shot. That's when I found the station's VI. I simply spoofed my identity to the station commander and just started relaying questions. The station VI is telling me the answer. We may not be able to connect to the network, but it can, Vic said matter-of-factly. Wait, Derek started. Are you telling me the station's VI is still operational? Why would someone cut life support and power and cut off the station's communications just to keep a tertiary system like the VI and wireless network up and running, especially if it's compiling and storing data? Unlike the core that powers the station, the VI is powered by solar panels attached to the exterior of the top floor, which is the security hub. They couldn't cut off the power without destroying the solar panels, so they simply crippled the station in another way. Standard protocol during emergencies is to examine the data that is streamed out through an open channel. Once a distress call is received, Vic explained. There's an open channel? I thought you said all the channels were jammed. This channel is an emergency broadcast network. It cannot be closed or jammed. However, it is only accessed if there is a distress call. Since no call was ever made, the data is simply flowing into a file that no one is looking for. Can we get a message out to that feed? Derek asked. No, the feed is locked and only authorized personnel can enable it, Vic said. You're an AI. Can't you break in? Hey, you're a human. Can't you have a baby or bench press 300 pounds? Vic returned. Just because I'm a computer doesn't mean I am omnipotent. Even AI has their limitations. The emergency feed has 10 layers of highly complex fluid encryption. It would take me days to break through. I can do it, but you could be long dead before I finished. Alright, I'm sorry, Derek said. I'm just getting antsy. There's something seriously wrong here. Someone went to great lengths to ensure this station got cut off from the rest of the galaxy. I know. Let me ask Dana if she knows what else is going on. Vic said, but a second later he spoke. Alright, so she said that the data regarding the symbols was pulled from someone with an open feed within the station. While the cameras are disabled, I think it's fair to say that the markings were probably made by that same person. Awesome, Derek sighed. What now? Well, standing in this airlock won't solve any problems. If anything, we might be able to find someone to help us or even disable the jammer. Running into danger was something he often avoided. It was one of the reasons he stayed on the ship when the others worked in Zero Grav. However, drastic measures. So gripping the wrench, Derek stepped further into the main lobby, following the carvings deeper into the station. The lobby was a mess, to say the very least. Anything that wasn't bolted to the floor floated like satellites in space. Chairs, tablets, tables, even potted plants were among the detritus. The lights from overhead had been smashed, the glass littering the air, shining like twinkling stars, when his light passed over them. As Derek pushed his way through the debris, his boots echoing with each deafening stump, he caught sight of the large three-person concierge desk. For those who had never been to the station, they provided important information about the Centurion. He had stopped by there on more than one occasion and has always been greeted with a surprisingly warm and friendly smile. This time, however, there was no beaming face or pleasant hello. 
The desk was vacant, but it was not bare. The normally neat and bright kiosk was coated with a dark, reflective substance, but it was difficult to make it out in the headlamp. Bringing his gauntlet up, he allowed the built-in sensors to scan the area. The sensor was designed to analyze minerals and chemicals, so the operator could determine the chemical compounds of various substances. Vic, what do we have here? Derek asked, tapping on the display. As Vic spoke, a list appeared on the helmet's HUD. Water. Acetate. Acetone. Acetylcholine. Adrenocorticotrophic hormone. At this, Derek interjected. Wait, hormone? He asked. Yes, Vic replied. From my analysis, this substance has the same chemical compositions as human blood. Derek's stomach dropped as he came to a grim realization. The kiosk was covered in blood. Peering down at the floor, he noticed his boots touched the very edge of the pool that had dripped from the desk above. Instinctively, Derek stepped back, pulling the sensor out of range. At that point, it didn't matter, though. The evidence was in front of him. Someone had to be dead, given the sheer amount of blood that was left. The strangest aspect of all of this was that there didn't appear to be any blood floating around him, so it was possible that the person had been killed before the gravity had been shut off. Shining his light around him, he saw more pools covering the floor, gore splattered across the walls. It was clear that this was not some terrible accident. The patterns in sheer volume, it was almost as if there had been a massacre. How he didn't step into any before was truly puzzling. Approaching the wall, Derek noticed five narrow streaks pulling down the length of it and across the floor toward the entryway for the main level. Vic, what are the odds that those streaks were made by fingers? Derek asked. The words fell from his trembling lips as a greasy taste lingered on his tongue. It took several large swallows to keep from throwing up. In the corner of his HUD, his heart rate rose from 100 beats per minute to 120. Derek, you need to calm down or you're going to have a heart attack, Vic said. I know, I, I just need a minute. Derek said. He closed his eyes, thinking about anything other than blood. You know, we can just head back to the ship and leave. The Hydra space station is only nine-hour flight away, Vic suggested. We, we can't, Derek replied. Though still rapid, his heartbeat dipped into double digits, which made his anxiety slightly more manageable. At least not yet. I have to find my friends. Very well. With a deep breath, he opened his eyes. Everywhere he turned, he saw nothing but carnage. Glancing up, he caught sight of sizable dents peppering the synthetic titanium alloy that the station was constructed with. Lodge in the center were small, compressed pieces of metal. Bullets. At least it looked like someone had put up a fight. He didn't know if that was better or worse. In the end, he just let the question fall away. Of course, in its place came a new question. This one was far more distressing. With so much gore, so much blood, there's one aspect that could not be overlooked. With so much blood lying around, where were the bodies? Derek stepped into the atrium with only his headlamps to guide him. Designed like a shopping mall, stores lined the interior and exterior of the walls running the entire span of the station. Clothing stores, electronic stores, bars, clubs, gaming hubs, VR experiences, evil travel agencies could be found. The main atrium was the largest of the floors, the ceilings extending up three stories. Normally, when the power was on, a VR simulation of the sky from Earth Prime was visible with the sun shining down or a moon floating overhead with the constellations all around it. Over 100 levels were laid out just the same as the main atrium, but lacked the VR sky. Each floor contained different shops from different companies from different planets. With over 10 trillion humans in the galaxy, diversity was not an issue, especially when the other races had their own wares to sell. As Derek approached the main thoroughfare, he tapped on his gauntlet. Hey Vic. Can you do a local ping for the crew? Derek asked. 
There was a brief moment as Vic ran the messaging program, but a mere second later a blip appeared on the minimap at the edge of his HUD's view. I've located the crew, Vic said. That's fantastic! Derek exclaimed. Where are they? A schematic of the Centurion appeared on his HUD, displaying the massive station in two dimensions. During one of his last days on the Centurion, when he was feeling drunk and fairly reckless, he acquired a copy of the schematic for the station. Normally the schematic could be attained through a simple request from the station's security. Given the size of the station, it was easy to get lost. However, the schematic Derek possessed was acquired by breaking through the security firewalls and downloading the confidential specs that contained the security layout for cameras, security doors, and various access ports. Looking at the map now, he saw a cluster of red dots in the main storage bay that was supposed to be heavily monitored by station security. There were eight dots in the bay, and one only two floors down in a club called the Lemurian Star. Whose ping is below us? Derek asked. Peter Carson, Vic said. With Peter so close, Derek wanted to make sure he was alright before trying to get to the others. Not knowing the protocol for the stations in case of emergencies, it was possible that everyone could have been loaded into the bay until help arrived. For now, he had to assume everyone was safe, but as he made his way down the thoroughfare toward the closest elevator shaft, his hopes were quickly fading. Like the lobby, the mall was in complete disarray. Windows were shattered, blood was everywhere, in pools, patches, and smears. Once more, Derek found blood and flesh clinging to the jagged shards of shop windows. With each step, his boots echoed throughout the cavernous level, the sound traveling far and wide. Though the headlamps cast away the shadows, they revealed nothing but horror. Along with blood, Derek found that written all over the walls were the same etchings that he found in the ring. Vic had asked Dana if she could translate, but she was unable to. It would remain a mystery until they could pull a data source with proper translations. For now, Derek simply recorded the images for future reference. The shaft lay open like a gaping wound. By the damage on the sides of the doors, it was clear that they had been pried open. On the floor, there was a large trail of smeared blood leading to the shaft and down into the darkness below. As he examined the elevator, Derek noticed something that, for once, brought a glimmer of joy. According to the schematic, there was a data access panel, but the panel was flush with the wall and impossible to pry open. Taking a more direct route, Derek grabbed the wrench and reared back. With as much strength as he could muster, he brought the wrench forward. The head smashed into the wall, denting the panel, but just barely. Bringing the wrench back again, he took another massive swing, connecting with the panel once more. What are you doing? Vic asked. Well, you said the internal network is still online, right? Derek asked, swinging again. By now, the small panel was starting to give way. Yes, the system is powered by a tertiary solar array. Well, once I get this panel off, you are going for a ride. Derek said. With one more blow, the panel went flying away from the wall. The dented chunk of metal spun away toward the ceiling, doing loop-de-loops as it drifted into the darkness behind him. Without the cover, there was a visible control panel glowing a dark red. Derek smiled, setting the wrench aside. If the power was completely off, the panel would be dead. The red light indicated that it was on emergency power, the tertiary solar power, so the systems were still live. Alright Vic, I want you to manually connect with the network and try to get into the level 1 security protocol. Then I want you to lock it out so no one else can use it while we have access, Derek said. What do you want with base level security protocols? The jammer is preventing any signals from going out, Vic said. Not what I'm going for, Derek corrected. I don't feel like prying doors open with a wrench. I want to be able to open doors and close them at will. Since the main power is off, the door should be operating off the backup power. Very impressive, Derek. The security system would have transferred door automation to the closed tertiary system to ensure that if the Alliance and Recovery Team attempted to breach, they could have access to the doors, Vic said. Derek only smiled. 
He had run the similar systems as a technician. He knew there had to be some backup that would allow security to lock down an area as well as open it up in case of emergencies. And now he would have access. Derek removed a small node from his gauntlet and plugged it into the port designed for manual data input. What about Dana? I don't think she'll appreciate what we're doing, Vic said. Disable her if you have to. After you are in the network, you won't need her. Very well. The AI wasted little time, but as Vic worked, Derek could only stand and wait. So he simply stared out into the darkness and wondered. The station was dead silent. As far as he knew, the only living person left on the station was him. Any sound there was, he made it. It was his stomping that echoed through the darkness. It was his screams that ripped through the air. The sensor detected no other person, no other organism, so to hear a sudden crash break through the silence made him jump. He snatched up his wrench and held it like a baseball bat. Quickly, he began to think of many different things that could have made that sound. It was possible that it was merely debris clattering into a wall or shattering glass. With the gravity off, there was just too many objects floating around. However, while the crash grabbed his attention, something else held it. Through the speakers of his suit, there was a distant sound of slapping. Slapping was really the only way he could describe it. There would be a slap and pause, slap and pause. Gripping the wrench tighter, Derek scanned the area, but his headlamp barely revealed anything. Hurry up, Vic, Derek whimpered. Slap, pause, slap, pause. The high ceilings made it impossible to know where the noise originated from. The sound could have come from the other side of the atrium, and he would be none the wiser. Slap, pause, slap, pause. He couldn't tell where the sound was coming from, the shadows obscuring everything in sight, but what he did know was that the sound appeared to be growing louder. Tapping on the gauntlet, he adjusted the audio settings of the speakers, bringing up a digital representation on his HUD. Slap. Pause. Slap. Pause. The audio spiked with each sound, and though there wasn't a major difference between each point, the peaks were growing. Slap. Pause. Slap. Pause. As Derek studied the audio, he noticed another peculiar oddity. With each detection, the sound waves differed. There was a point where the sound was much slower while the second point was higher, and it would continue this pattern as the peaks grew in size. He quickly realized it was oscillating between high and low points, but keeping within that same pattern of increasing volume. Slap. Pause. Slap. Pause. It reminded Derek when he was a child, and it would bounce a ball up in the air. With all of his might, he would take the ball and slam it into the ground and let it sail overhead before gravity took hold and brought it back to Earth. The ball would then bounce once more before dropping, eventually settling. Slap. Pause. Slap. Pause. Taking that same idea, if gravity had not stopped the ball and if there was a ceiling, it would have slammed into it and then bounced back toward him. Slap. Pause. Slap. Pause. Derek increased the audio once more. Deep within the white noise through which the slap and pause came through, he heard something else. Again, he thought of that ball bouncing. As a child, once the ball stopped bouncing, Derek would grab the ball once more and then slam it as hard as he could, grunting as he did so to ensure he put as much power into it as he could. And that was it. That was what he was hearing. It was grunting. Something was grunting. Slap, pause, grunt. Slap, pause, grunt. The sound grew louder, the peaks growing higher and higher on his HUD. Slap, pause, grunt. Slap, pause, grunt. Closer and closer the noise drew. Derek scanned the area but saw nothing but darkness as his meager lights barely penetrated the shadows. He couldn't even see the ceiling. Slap, pause, grunt. Slap, pause, grunt. 
Then, as the noise grew exorably louder, Vic cried out triumphantly, Done! The exclamation pulled Derek back to the task at hand. Without thinking, Derek dove into the elevator shaft. Flipping within the air, his mag boots attached to the wall opposite the door. His eyes darting towards the opening, Derek cried, Close it now! Vic complied and slammed the door shut. Barely moments after the elevator closed, pounding echoed through the elevator shaft, followed by muffled but very audible shrieks. These were not cries of pain or fear. This was anger and rage. Whatever was on the other side was furious. What was that? Vic asked. I don't know, and I don't want to know, Derek said. You said the ping was two floors down, right? Yes. Tapping on his hollow display, Derek deactivated his boots. Without the anchor, he was now free-floating, and was currently in the best place to travel the span of the station without running into whatever was on the other side of the elevator. With a few controlled bursts of his thrusters, Derek descended down the shaft, following the schematic and the ping from Peter's tracker, until he stopped at the elevator door. According to the ping, Peter was about 500 meters away from his current position. From what Derek could tell, there was another elevator between Peter and him. So if needed, Vic could open the shaft and they could use that to escape. Though he prayed there wouldn't be any reason to find an escape route, his guts warned him otherwise. Open it, Derek said. Vic complied as the elevator doors slid open just enough for him to fit through. The ceiling was much lower, lacking the extra space that the atrium possessed. With his helmet lights, the ceiling was now visible, which granted Derek a sense of relief knowing that nothing was hiding overhead. If something was going to sneak up on him, it would be either in front of him or behind him. Though not a comforting thought, it was still something. Activating his mag boots, Derek walked down the hall following the ping. This floor wasn't spared the carnage that the main area endured. It looked even worse now because Derek could see blood on the ceiling as well as the floor and walls. As he passed underneath one of the lights, he saw that the glass had been shattered, blood and skin clinging to the remaining fragments. Upon a closer inspection, he could even see clumps of hair as well. After several tense moments, Derek found himself outside the Lumerian Star. Derek had visited the club once before, but didn't really care for the experience. If you thought bars were loud, clubs were absolutely deafening. Even screaming at the top of your lungs into a person's ear, they still couldn't hear you. Now that the club was silent, the normally vibrant lights and music that shook the walls and spilled into the hall absent, he actually missed them. Knowing how the club was supposed to be versus how it was now offered a chilling contrast. Derek clutched his wrench and with a deep, unsteady breath, stepped through the front door. Trash and broken glass floated around him in thick clusters. More than once he had to push them out of the way. Blood was everywhere, and like most areas before, the bodies were missing. The ping, however, was strong. Evidence that Peter should have been nearby. To his right, he saw the bar standing vacant, the shelves behind it empty. The bottles that weren't smashed floated around the room. Derek followed the ping to the source, growing closer and closer with each step. It was around the booth in the far back of the club that Derek saw he was practically on top of it. However, even though the ping was there, Peter wasn't. Vic, am I reading this right? He asked. From what I can tell, he should be here, Vic noted. Derek sighed, wondering if the ping system was malfunctioning. Taking a more practical approach, he kneeled down, curious to see if perhaps the wrist sensor had been dropped or broken during whatever incident occurred. It was in that moment when his light filled the void under the table, he understood why he couldn't find his friend. The sensor had been ripped off. Rather, Peter's arm had been ripped off. Derek screamed as he jumped away fighting the nausea that gripped his stomach with tight, cold hands. With the extreme emotions that he was already juggling, the true implication of Peter's death did not hit him right away. All he could think about was the kid he had spent so much time working with. 
Peter was a good kid, just barely out of his teens. He joined the crew to explore the system, wanting to get off Earth Gamma. While they didn't explore the galaxy studying life, they saw and experienced much. And now he could be dead. They all could be dead. He was given no time to warn his friend when he heard a sound coming from behind. Unlike the slaps and pauses from the main level, this was heavy thudding like someone taking a hammer to a steel drum. Derek turned, the light from his helmet shining in the darkness, and screamed once more. The only reason he didn't topple over was because of the mag boots. He had to force his body into motion, taking several steps away from the thing that was now standing in the doorway. The dim headlamps revealed the thing's flesh. Every inch of it was covered with gore, blood, and bile. The creature was almost ten feet tall, its head touching the ceiling. Thick muscles bulged under its skin that appeared too tight for its massive frame and could have easily split apart if enough force was applied. While the body appeared human, the monster's face was something utterly monstrous. Its lips were sewn shut, the fabric holding tight, but as it snarled and screamed, the flesh was ripping underneath the strain. Its eyelids had been removed, revealing dark black sclera and blood-red irises that were transfixed onto Derek. With each deep inhale, the monster's chest swelled, forcing the skin to stretch and even tear. In one massive hand was a hammer that, that resembled an enormous morning star, in the other, a severed leg. Thick? Derek whimpered. I am sorry, but I have no data, he replied. Derek clutched his wrench, the weapon paling to the hammer. Without waiting for any prompt, Vic brought up the schematic of the Centurion on Derek's HUD. Tracing a path at the back of the club, there was an employee access port that offered an avenue of escape, leading him into a neighboring store. With a bright flash on the HUD, Derek was brought back to what mattered, survival. Follow the path, you should be able to navigate it back to the nearest elevator shaft. Once there, you will be able to descend to the main cargo bay. I can open any doors along the way, Vic said. Before Derek could even respond, the beast unleashed a roar so loud it caused feedback in his helmet. Derek screamed, and with that, the creature charged, dragging the hammer on the floor as it moved. The beast closed the distance quickly, taking large strides. Derek ran as fast as he could to the employee access that Vic outlined on his HUD. As he approached it, the door slid open, revealing a darkened hallway, but as he closed the gap, pain erupted in his side. He screamed, feeling himself fly across the dance floor into an adjacent wall. The HUD quickly went red, indicating a breach on the suit's panels. A medical diagnostic flashed up informing him of three broken ribs. The suit's onboard medical system injected a local anesthetic, numbing but not eliminating the pain. Dazed, Derek tried to regain his bearings, but he only floated for a moment before another sudden pain ripped through his stomach and chest. There was another update on his HUD as well as a light tone in his helmet indicating yet another breach in addition to the cracked sternum and two more broken ribs. Derek screamed in pain as another blow struck his helmet, causing the glass to fracture, effectively disabling the HUD. Move! Vic cried, but Derek couldn't. The suit flooded his body with painkillers, but this also meant his reaction time was slowed. Vic, through the onboard camera, saw the beast raise the hammer up once more. He quickly estimated that the helmet could not take another hit. Overriding the propulsion system, he activated the thrusters. Derek was launched back toward the access door, but just barely missing the Morningstar as it slammed into the floor, destroying the metal paneling. Vic thought he was clear, but the monster was faster. With astounding speed, the monster snatched Derek's boot before he could escape. The plating bent under its grip, and Vic knew that if given the chance, it would rip Derek apart. He had other plans, though. Disengaging the footpiece of the suit, Derek slipped free from the monster's grip and through the back door. The moment they entered the hallway, Vic slammed the door shut behind them as they collided into the back wall. Even through the thick walls of the station, the beast could be heard as it bellowed with rage. So what now? Vic asked through Derek's earpiece. 
Derek discarded the last of his suit, allowing it to float away like the rest of the debris. In the dim light of his bracer, he saw that the helmet was trashed. The once smooth structure was now bent and cracked. It withstood the force of the monster's hammer once, but clearly it could not take another hit. The chest plate was dented and mangled, and with the boot missing, his suit was nothing but scrap. Then, to make matters worse, without the suit's internal rebreather, he was forced to rely on the station's remaining oxygen supply. Even with the garden in the station, there was no way it could recycle all of the carbon dioxide. If that wasn't bad enough, he was unable to walk. Without the mag boots, he was forced to float around like, like the rest of the trash in the station. Somehow, the monster was able to walk, without feeling the effects of no gravity, but Derek hadn't the slightest clue why. It was clear though, if he had run into the monster again, he wouldn't survive. Without his suit and with a chest full of cracked ribs, Derek had no other option. He had to return to his ship and go get help. The jammer didn't have a wide range, so if he got out far enough, he could send an SOS in all frequencies and pray that someone would hear it. If anything, he could make his way back to the Hydra. Using the walls as his guide, he pushed himself down the hallway of the employee access tunnels. According to Vic, the elevator was next to a store which shared the wall of the club. From behind him, Derek could hear the bellows and pounding thuds of a hammer against metal. It was determined to get into that hallway. By the time it did, Derek prayed that he would be far away. Light years away. Without his helmet, the hallway was almost black. The little light that the bracer emitted was enough to provide light to travel, but little less. As Derek approached the employee access for the neighboring store, a door slid open. Pulling himself through, his bracer revealed that he was in a restaurant. The phantom smells of past meals lingered in the air, and in that moment, Derek realized just how hungry he was. Since his excursion to the station, food had been the furthest thing from his mind. Now, with the old sense lingering around his nose, his stomach grumbled. According to Vic, the elevator shaft should be to the left of the restaurant. From there, he would take it back to the atrium and to his ship. Without real light, Derek couldn't see the gore that coated the walls of the high-end restaurant. Musicians and politicians, actors and artists all dined at Delicate a famously popular eatery. It often took months in order to get a reservation, and even that didn't mean you could get in. A simple exchange of credits could easily knock you off the waiting list. Now, it was merely one more room in a 200-level tomb. From the hallway, he could still hear the pounding of metal against metal. The beast, though strong, was dumb. This worked in Derek's favor since he could now enter the hall without the monster hearing him or seeing him. If there was one saving grace of having no suit, it allowed for much quieter travel. His biggest concern was bumping into some trash and sending it ricocheting like a bullet. Derek quietly navigated the restaurant and floated out the entrance without a sound. He kept low to the ground in case he needed to launch himself with his feet. His legs could produce more power than his arms thanks to his broken ribs, and any little advantage could mean life or death. As he drifted mere inches off the ground, Derek noticed something on the floor. A dark liquid shaped like an enormous human foot. In fact, there were numerous prints leading all the way from him. Without his sensors, he had no idea what it was, so he did what any curious man did. He touched it. Tacky. The substance was tacky. Instantly, Derek postulated the theory. The creature was producing some sort of liquid that allowed it to cling to the floor. Like its mag boots, it could travel without losing contact to the surface. He didn't know if this was clever or ghoulish, but was leaning toward the latter. Eager not to touch the glue again, Derek floated through the open elevator doors and into the shaft. Once in, the door slid shut. Two floors, right? Derek whispered. Right. Derek pushed himself up, keeping close to the wall. Traveling two floors in zero-gravity environment wasn't difficult. He simply floated upward, running into absolutely no resistance whatsoever. 
Of his entire experience on the station, that was the easiest thus far. The ascent was brief, and seconds later, Vic slid the doors open and Derek floated out. His journey through the ship would be much easier. With Vic tracking his movements based on his speed, trajectory, and layout of the station, he was quickly guided back to the ring without any issues. The moment he flew through the door of his ship, Derek sealed it and a second later the artificial gravity kicked in and he dropped like a bird with its wings clipped. Pain ripped through his torso as the ribs he had forgotten about informed him that they were still indeed broken. Are you alright? Vic asked. Do we have any pain meds? Derek asked, his voice strained. We currently have three stim pens in our inventory. Each dose should stave off the pain for 12 hours, more or less, Vic said. It took Derek several minutes to clamber to his feet, the pain refusing to yield. It appeared that zero gravity was far more conducive to broken ribs than a gravity environment. The med bay was right of the showers, barely a 5x5 space that contained a chair, a mini-scanner, and built-in drawers where medical supplies were stored. Derek staggered to the chair, barely able to breathe. Each time he inhaled, pain spiderwebbed throughout his chest. Through his entire life, he had never experienced a broken bone. Now, he had at least half a dozen. Practically falling into the chair, the scanner that was connected to it sprang to life. Built into the structure of the chair were numerous sensors designed to analyze heart rate, body temperature, and blood pressure. As he leaned back, placing his head against a headrest, a secondary scanner descended from the ceiling and analyzed his body's structure, determined bone density, structure, and internal muscle and organ activity. On the display next to the headrest was a scan of Derek, and it appeared that in addition to seven broken ribs, he had a mild concussion. Derek, there's something you need to know, Vic said. In Derek's current state, he didn't pick up on the AI's unusual sense of urgency. Not now, Derek groaned. Just get the ship into deep space and we'll send out a distress call. Derek, Vic attempted to argue, but Derek wasn't having any of it. He simply closed his eyes and ignored him until he was able to ease the pain. It wasn't until Derek heard the crash from the front of the ship that he opened his eyes again. He shot up, the pain excruciating, but he ignored it. There was no reason that anything should be falling down. The ship's artificial gravity was operating, and everything was secured for travel. From the cockpit, he heard another crash as several data pads fell to the floor. There was a pause before he heard a deep, terrible growl drift through the air like a dog guarding a bone. Vic? Derek whimpered. That is what I was trying to tell you, he said annoyed. Derek looked around for any weapon he could get his hands on. To his left was a laser cutter used for emergency amputations. The laser could sever limbs and cauterize it at the same time, preventing infections or bleed out. It looked like an ancient Earth Prime style hacksaw, but where the blade was supposed to be was an empty space until it was powered on. Keeping the blade clutched in his hand, Derek rose to his feet. He bit back groans of agony as he thumbed on the power. Instantly, an energy blade appeared, spanning the gap of the saw. He stepped into the center of the ship, looking directly at the cockpit. That was when he saw a figure against the blackness of space. Unlike the station, his ship had power, and under the light, he saw the thing in clear detail. It resembled a woman, but that was where the similarity ended. The bones jutted from under her skin at odd angles. The jaw, now hanging lower than it should be on a human, was filled with two rows of sharp teeth. The mostly bald scalp was stretched and even split at one of the temples, where a dark blood dribbled from where a single horn grew. It looked like bone, but it was coated in black oil. Its knees were snapped backwards like some twisted flamingo. Its fingernails, Derek could see they were once painted green, were now talon-like extensions, and each time it flexed, the claws ripped the flesh of its palms. Scraps of clothing clung to its body. 
They appeared more like strings of cobwebs than clothing. Her breasts hung like sacks of limp flesh, losing any provocativeness that they once might have held. This thing was an abomination in every way possible. Holy, Derek uttered, but before the thought was finished, the thing lunged at him as it unleashed a feral shriek. The thing moved quickly but clumsily. Clearly it wasn't used to the gravity environment, and it couldn't compensate for the added weight. Though in pain, the fear drove Derek away. The creature missed its lunge entirely. Out of reflex, Derek brought the laser cutter down and in one motion severed the monster's head, sending it rolling across the floor. He screamed, dropping the cutter. Now free from his hand, the laser deactivated as it clattered against the hard metal floor. Nausea watched over him with tidal force. Dropping to his knees, he threw up what little he had. The sudden muscle contraction sent a powerful shockwave of pain ripping through him and he threw up once more. Kneeling there over a puddle of sick, everything came crashing into place. In that single moment, as pain subsided, nausea ebbing, he came to a dawning realization. With just his brief foray into the station, he knew that his friends were dead, as well as thousands of innocent people. To make matters worse, there were monsters. Real, physical monsters. Once existing only in bad dreams, they now existed in the cosmos. Derek wanted to scream, to curse the universe, but he simply lost himself to sadness and wept. He let everything out and simply cried for the loss of his friends and the nightmares that he and they had endured. Vic left Derek to mourn the crew as he overrode the docking clamps and within moments they were moving away from the station that was once the greatest in the galaxy. While navigating, he also took control of the floating medical scanner and maneuvered it away from Derek toward the monster. As a human, Derek was prone to allow his emotions to override his logic. Vic was not bound by emotions. Ever since detecting the brute from the station, he had wanted to get a closer look. The thing resembled humans, but did not share any characteristics with them. The scanner should detect any differences between the two. Shortly after departure and receiving a shot from one of the stim pens, Derek dragged himself into his bunk. Turning away from the thing that lay on the floor, he simply passed out from sheer exhaustion. Vic, using one of the miniature mobile lifters, picked up the corpse of the creature and jettisoned it into space. The results of the scan provided enough information that there was no need to keep the organism. Though the analysis showed no indication of infectious material, he didn't want to risk it. After the scan, the body was useless, from an investigatory perspective. They were not equipped with examination tools for biological analysis, so the best Vic could do was get basic information. The creature possessed human DNA, and though the structure and form differed from a human, it was, for all intents and purposes, human. It was mangled and horribly disfigured, but it was human at one point. The other half of the equation became clear after moving the body. Attached to its hip was a digital recorder. It was exactly like the body cams the Alliance Guard were ordered to wear to ensure that there were no incidents like there was back in the 21st century. Seeing it, Vic determined that the thing was once a crew member of the Centurion. Protocol dictated that the hard drive was not to be deleted until the end of one shift and the data uploaded for safekeeping. If the woman still had the hard drive, then Vic may access it. Breaking through the security would be no problem. It took less than a second to burst through the encryption. The moment Vic analyzed the data, he knew that something wasn't right. It wasn't that the data was corrupted, far from it. Everything was in perfect working order, with no sign of modification of the device. What he saw was something that his databanks had never processed before. He had terabytes and terabytes at his disposal, entire histories at his virtual fingertips, but this was something completely unheard of. Though not human, he knew of the concept of fear and understood how Derek, how people, could see this as terrifying. It would be another four hours before Derek awoke to discover what really happened on the Centurion. 
He awoke to the calls of an Alliance officer responding to the distress signal. The cruiser was still hours away and with nothing to do. Vic tried to prepare him as much as possible before allowing the playback, but there was no preparation for what he saw. The image was shaky. Even with the built-in stabilizers, it was difficult to make out anything. According to the identification built onto the camera, the woman was Corporal Lisa Hendricks. From what Vic and Derek could tell, Lisa was being dragged, seeing mostly a dark red glow that illuminated the otherwise darkened area. The light wasn't from the security lamps, which wasn't surprising since the power had been cut. Instead, it came from another source that was outside of the camera's view. Once the camera ceased moving, there was a slight pause before it shook violently as the camera, as the body, was readjusted. In this new position, the camera allowed him to see the room with terrible clarity. She was in one of the loading bays of the Centurion, and all around in the camera's field of view, Derek saw bodies lying on the floor and suspended by hooks from the ceiling. In the center of the room, surrounded by the innumerable corpses, was a freestanding doorframe. What made this innocuous structure even more horrifying was that the frame was constructed out of body parts, severed arms, legs bound together. This frame wasn't empty though. Within that space was a brilliant light that glowed red, the source of the light, that not only filled the bay with dark crimson, but also revealing a nearby figure. Dressed in a robe, hood pulled up obscuring his or her face, the figure held what appeared to be a book, an actual physical book. The audio was garbled, spoiled by what sounded like wind, which didn't make any sense because the station was an airtight environment. There were vents, but nothing that would distort the audio in such a way. Derek spent little time considering this because his eyes were drawn to one of the dead men that hung from a hook lodged in his shoulder right under the collarbone. From the doorway, something stepped through. It was quick, the image blurred by movement, and no matter how slow they played the video, it was impossible to get a clear read on what it was. What happened next, though, was what mattered. The body began to shiver and convulse. The legs twitched and then the arms, followed by the legs and head. Within seconds of movement, the body began to swell in one place, twisting in others. The arms and legs bulged and bent, but not at the joints. The bone snapped in three places, but the arm continued to flex and bend. Skin ripped open, exposing dark muscle tissue and sinew. From where the fingernails once were, new talons ripped through the nail beds, pushing away the original and sending them clattering to the floor. This man's torso bulged like a balloon, swelling with water. It was with a grim thought that Derek recognized what was happening. It was like when he slides into a jumpsuit. Whatever the thing was, it was sliding into the man, wearing the man like a meat suit. Once its head snapped up, the skin tearing around the jawline, Derek stopped the video. It was all he could handle. Afterward, he clicked off the monitor and waited for the Alliance to arrive. For four weeks, Derek was questioned about what happened and held until finally one day he was let go. There were no charges, and in fact, he received hearty compensation for his help, 50 million credits. When he was released by the Alliance, he moved back to Earth Gamma, certain he never wanted to leave again. Vic remained with him, the Alliance never suspecting the VI was self-aware since the Ghost Protocol was reactivated long before they arrived. In the end, the Centurion was condemned by the Alliance, claiming that a massive radiation leak resulted in the death of all 5,000 on board. Derek and Vic were the only ones to survive the fall of the Centurion, but could never speak a word of it to anyone due to a very strict confidentiality agreement that he was more than happy to sign. The last thing he wanted to do was to relive the horrors of the station. No one ever learned of what happened for several years, until one day, the Alliance planet of Earth Delta suddenly went quiet, and all communication ceased. The only message to be broadcast before the total global blackout consisted of three words. We 
have arrived. Theme music for today's episode, Chase Pulse, Echoes of Time, Ice Demon, Bump in the Night by Kevin MacLeod under a Creative Commons License 3.0, Night in the Forest Blues by Cormy, copyright 2015, license under a Creative Commons non-attribution commercial 3.0 license, sound effects under a public domain license, and Kangaroo Vindaloo, Creative Commons license 3.0.